You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. He said this joke, so if you don't like it, just email him. Don't, don't talk to me about it. But he heard a story about a pastor who uh, went out hunting on a bear trip, and this pastor had spent all day looking for a bear, had his rifle, and was perched in the right place. And throughout the course of the day, he saw nothing. And toward the tail end of the day, he got frustrated, and he threw his gun down. And he goes down to the stream to clean himself off, to refresh himself. And as he's just kind of splashing water in his face, he looks up and he sees this giant grizzly bear charging full force toward him. And the only reaction that this preacher could have was to get on his knees and say, Lord, please make this bear a Christian. And then all of a sudden, the bear stops in his track, lifts his pulse to heaven, and says, thank you, Jesus, for this food I'm about to eat. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Joel. Uh, Oh, boy. Okay, here we go. So this morning, we're going to talk about Jesus, the light of the world. And uh, there's something significant that Jesus said in John 8, um, 12. And he, he makes this statement. And I'm going to read it to you in just a second. But it's more than just the statement he makes. And in the surface level, we can receive this statement and understand exactly what he's saying. But there's a little bit more to it when we understand when Jesus said it. When Jesus said it and what it actually implies and and fulfills is a part of who he is. Because there are three positions of Jesus that must frame our theology of who he is, meaning that we have to understand about Jesus in order to embrace the full measure and the full redemptive work of what he is doing in our lives. And this next week, we're going to celebrate one of those. But around Christmas, we celebrate the first one, which is when Jesus came to the earth, his birth. This is something he's performed. He's done. We know it. We believe it. And the significance of this was more than just Jesus coming to die. See, if all we believe about the birth of Christ is that Jesus came to die, we're missing the fullness of the story. The scripture tells us that Jesus was a second Adam, that he came and he had to be made in the full likeness of man. It's something that's hard to get our heads wrapped around as as mortals, as, as human beings, that Jesus was fully man, yet fully God, but he had to be. Why did he have to be? Not just so that his physical body could be sacrificed, but that he could show that there is a pattern that God has intended, the original intent, intent for, for man on the earth for, on a way that we are to interact with God. And in the appointed time, God saw fit to do something that stood outside of time, which was to send the perfect sacrifice, the spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, to the earth. And this is something that we have to understand if we're going to understand the redemptive purpose and the nature of Jesus. If we're going to fully believe he is who he is and everything he has done for us is for us today. We have to accept him as not only the sacrifice, but the model. We have to believe he is the model. He showed the way for us to live, to God, live toward God in fellowship, in harmony with God. He came and he did that. He showed us how to commune with God. He showed us how to be dependent upon God. He showed us how to be led by the Spirit. He showed us these things. The second thing that we see in what we'll celebrate next week at what we call Easter was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, something he has also performed. We believe it to be true. We trust it. 
And that's significant also because he who came as a child was set forth outside of time as what the scripture calls the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And that only makes sense if you understand the full majesty of God, that God is not hemmed in by time like we are. We have X amount of days on this earth, and then it's done. God is not hemmed in by time. He is eternal. And so Jesus was sacrificed eternally for the appointed time to come and to be that sacrifice. And again, it would be one thing for us just to understand the sorrow and the pain and the murder of Jesus on the cross But that is not enough. Yes, his body had to be broken. Yes, he had to be slain. Yes, his blood had to be shed. It had to be shed. Why? Because it was a picture of what happened in the Old Testament when the high priest would go and pick the pure, spotless lamb and they would come and put their hands upon that lamb and in essence impute or impart the sins of Israel upon that lamb to be sacrificed and then sprinkle that blood over the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant and they would let it be there and it would be pleasing as a fragrance up to God. And so when the scripture tells us that Jesus was, our sins were imputed upon him, it is that picture, but it was not just for one year. It was not an annual sacrifice. It was an eternal sacrifice. Why? Because he was slain outside the time frame that we understand. It's not enough though, because in order for it to be perfect, it had to be received, didn't it? It had to be accepted by the Father. And the way that we know that Jesus Christ's sacrifice was accepted by the Father is by the very truth that he rose again. That death could not hold him. That sin could not defeat him. And what does that speak to you that frames your theology and your trust and your confidence in the redemptive purpose of Jesus Christ? Because if Jesus was the model from his birth, then his sacrifice is the stamp that sin when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, cannot hold you either. Sin cannot defeat you. Sin cannot rule over you. Sin cannot lead you to death. But there's a third thing, something we don't talk about very much. And this is prophetic. It's yet to happen. And this is his return. But it is the third part of the the actions of Christ that we need to look at in this morning, even though we're celebrating Palm Sunday, if, if, if I would, if I can direct your eyes past that to a future hope that Jesus clearly talked to us about and asked us, please, to fix our hope in this place, to give us confidence, to give us hope in the ultimate redemptive purpose of who he is, it is by looking at his return. And Jesus understood this, that there was a final part of the play to be acted out, which is his return. His disciples at the ascension begged for it, didn't they? After Jesus had resurrected and shown himself on the earth and had walked around and he's ascending into heaven, the final question that they ask as he's going up into his glorious ascension is when will you come and restore the kingdom? When will you come and put an end to all things unjust, to all things wrong, to the broken system of this world? That's what they were asking. And Jesus looks down and says, it's not for you to understand the time or the season, but go and wait 
for the Holy Spirit, you're going to begin to live out the revelation of me being the light of the world in the world today. And for the time being, that will be enough. So in John 8, 12, we see something significant that Jesus says that's marvelous. It's beautiful. And if the Lord will touch our eyes and our heart and our ears to receive this, it can bring such a depth of hope into us, especially in the day and the age that we live in, trusting the full redemptive purpose of our King, Jesus Christ. In John 8, 12, Jesus says this. He spoke to the people again, and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We hear that and we understand that probably on a surface level. and We understand that Jesus is the light of the world. He's the light of the world by his existence, by what he did, by breaking the power of sin. But as, much, as important as that is, when Jesus said it is equally as important. In John 7, we know that Jesus, after being out in Galilee, outside of Judea, outside of the hub, of Israel, which was Jerusalem, because he was at a point in his ministry where his life was being threatened, where he was not a very popular guy. Jesus understood suffering. And he goes in and he makes an appearance at a particular feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. In John chapter 7, he goes in. It's the third pilgrimage that Every good Jew, everybody who confessed Judaism that believed in God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would come and they would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and they would come and celebrate. When I was a kid growing up, I actually lived next door to a Jewish synagogue. We shared a drive-through, no joke, like a drive-through driveway. And I don't know, probably most people here aren't very familiar with Jewish synagogues. But once a year, I would see these people outside building these crazy uh, forts. I called them forts. They would build these forts all out in their lawn, all on their property, all around their property. They build these things. They look like little huts, what some of you hunters would look like as blinds, basically. And they would have frames, and they would drape leaves over them, these giant leaves, these palms over top of them. And I would always go, what in the world are they doing? And when they, when they left, I would go sneak in there and go look at them. And I never understood it. But here's what they were celebrating. It was the Feast of Tabernacles, which would normally happen around October. And Jesus in John 8 is making a statement out of this particular feast. And here's the significance of this, because this is what this feast meant. This particular feast meant. It was an eight-day celebration where every day there was sacrifices made at the temple. And every day there was water taken and sprinkled in the temple courts, symbolizing when God supplied water to the Israelites in the wilderness from the rock that Moses hit. And then every day there would be giant menorahs, these huge candelabras that would stick up in the temple courts. Many of them, some of them, scholars say, were 75 feet high, and they'd be lit up at night, and they would light the night up, and it symbolized the pillar of fire in which God led the Israelites through the wilderness. And then finally, they would construct these forts, these shelters in place. 
They would put them on their patios, in their front yards, in the streets, and everybody would come to Jerusalem, and they would come, and they would celebrate, and their guests would come and stay inside these forts, and it symbolized God's provision during the wilderness. And so Jesus stands up in the middle of this festival, in the middle of this feast, and he cries out in a loud voice, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus was pointing through the feast into the moment, into the understanding that he has come as the light of the world, past the moment, into the redemptive purpose of all things when God makes all things right. And he's looking at the Israelites and looking through them to us and saying, I understand the condition of the world just as it was in the wilderness where you didn't know where you were going to eat from, what was going to cover your heads, how were you going to be led, what you would drink from. I understand the injustice, but I want you to know in my purpose... It's not just that I came and not just that I die and rise again, but one day I will sit as the king of this world. And one day I will make things right. And I want to tell you something this morning because in the light of the things that we see on this earth, it doesn't make any sense unless we get the third part of the puzzle to know the fullness of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. It doesn't make any sense until we understand. And we see Jesus being prophetically spoke of through this feast, knowing what his heart is. This particular feast was also called the Feast of Ingathering, where they would take their crops and they would bring them in and they would offer them as a sacrifice. And it points us through Jesus Christ to the day that Jesus will gather all of us to himself. That he will come and he will see us and he knows us. And in that moment, we will be caught with him. That we will be captured with him. He will draw us to himself in physical proximity. He will pull us to his breast. In that day, there will be a redemption of all things. And that day, everything that has seemed upside down, everything that has have seemed wrong, everything that has seemed unjust, there will be clarity too. And that day, there will be one light, and it won't shine from the sun, but it will shine from Jesus Christ, the risen sun. He will be the glorious light that fills the earth in that day. And when we understand this, we have a place to anchor our hope When we see Jesus through these things, we have a place to anchor our redemption, to understand the full measure of this and what this means for us. Let me ask you this question. What's the significance of light? What's the significance of the light of Jesus Christ? There's three things that I believe that are significant about the light of Jesus Christ and what he came to bring. First is this, is that the light of Jesus Christ brings life. And it does indeed overcome darkness. In John 1.4, the scripture tells us this. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus Christ came 
and by his presence on this earth, coming and showing and being and living and moving and performing the things he performed on this earth, he became the light that shines in the darkness. Very much in the same way when God created the heavens and the earth and he spoke light into existence, it separated the darkness. It's impossible to see the truth of who we are. It's impossible to see the truth of where we live and what we exist in, the reality of our life apart from the light of the life of Jesus Christ. And he came and he became that light. He became that light that overcame the darkness And the thing that sticks out to me that's so amazing about this scripture is this, is that no matter how hard the darkness is tried, no matter how dark it has become, it has not been able to overcome the light of Jesus Christ. Darkness cannot overcome the light of Jesus Christ. Second thing about this is that the light of Jesus overcomes the darkness of sin in our life. In 1 John 1, 5 through 7, it says this, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, the one, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The light of Jesus Christ has the ability to break the darkest, most bound up, most chained up sin that we've ever faced. There's not a sin that any man could ever create that the light of Jesus Christ cannot break, will not break, does not have the authority to break. The light of Jesus Christ is powerful. It breaks and it came to overcome the very nature of sin. Why is that important? Because in order to understand the third part of this that I'm going to talk about in just a second, you have to experience it first in your life. To know that there is a God who will redeem all things and will make all things right in the end, you have to understand that He is the one who makes things right in you. That He is the one who is able to bring the light of who Jesus is into you to begin to break the power of sin. The third thing about the light is this, is that it testifies to a final truth. Jesus spoke this in his departing message to his disciples and to us in John 16, 8 through 11. Talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus Christ. It is the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he says this, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Listen to this, about sin because people do not believe in me. So he's going to shine, the Holy Spirit will shine and will convict of unbelief and will draw men and women to Jesus Christ about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. So the second thing the Holy Spirit does is he brings us into continual reminder of our righteousness, that we are indeed just like Jesus, the light of the world. That we carry that same light inside of us. But listen to this third and final part that I want to pay specific attention to. He says, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. 
Jesus was throwing something over the bow of, of life to us to get a hold of, to understand that the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to testify of this resounding truth that because Jesus Christ lives and sits at the right hand of the Father, that he who stands over this earth, the enemy, the accuser of the saints, now stands condemned. He now stands in judgment. He now stands in a place of a final verdict being handed out to him that will one day be met out and proven. How do we justify the things that we see on this earth? Let's have some real talk right now. Let's talk. How do we justify the rampant persecution of the weak? The persecution of the marginalized, the young, the sick. How do we justify that in terms of who God is? Do we simply stand back and look at it and say it's a result of sin, sin nature on the earth? See, that's okay, and that's, that's allowed, and that that's, has a measure of truth. But it makes God look awfully weak, doesn't it? Because if God's omnipotent and he's all-powerful, where is he? Some of you, your jaws are dropping. What is a pastor doing right now? When we read the stories that are in the news and we see the people who are being persecuted and we see young children sold into slavery and we see people beheaded and we see gas attacks with children, when we see this and we say, God, where are you? When we see people die, when we see these things that break our heart and we find a distance between how do we justify the redemptive purpose of Jesus Christ in light of the context of the things that are happening on this earth, the answer is what Jesus gave in John 16, that there will be a day, my job is not yet done, that I will return and I will judge the accuser of what he has done and every persecution and everything he has done, and he will stand in that place, and you will be redeemed. And what we have to do is that we have to take our eyes off of the pain of the immediate and look into the eternal eyes of Jesus Christ and understand that those who sit in him, who have placed their faith in him, understand that he is the God who has provided the way that paves the way now and will seal the way for the future. He has secured us perfectly in who he is. Jesus invites us into this, this place of living the way that he lived. In Ephesians 5.8, he invites us to see this. He invites us to take this on as revelation inside of us. And he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. We've been given the opportunity to begin to live as children of the light. So how do we do that? I want to read to you a parable really quick. I'm going to probably just tell you the parable. 
It's a parable of an, it's what Jesus spoke as an end time parable. And there's just a couple of things that I think that we can begin to do to live as children of the light today. Something that we can take a hold of today. Something that can begin to change our perspective to cause our eyes to be cast up to Jesus Christ as the eternal one. The one who has sealed us. In Matthew 25, we see Jesus talking about a time in the kingdom of heaven. And he likened it to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. That's understandable. At midnight, the cry rang out, here comes the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. Nope, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go out to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins were ready, went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know the day or the hour. So when Jesus calls us to be, to live as children of the light, he's calling us to understand a couple of things about how we are supposed to gird up our lives. And when you read the New Testament over and over and over again, what you see is a theme that runs through it where they lived every day like Jesus was coming back. And it wasn't because they, they didn't mess up. Their, their theology wasn't wrong. They didn't miss anything. They didn't miss the mark. They didn't not read the signs and the seasons properly. See, their eschatology, their belief in end things was a little bit different than ours. It wasn't about trying to realize the signs so that we can know something that somebody else didn't. It was about preparing your heart so that in that moment you could be found ready. It was about preparing your heart under the, in the understanding that the one who is coming to redeem all things is coming soon. And in that hour, he will make all things right. See, they had a preparedness about them that was lined up with the truth of who Jesus was, not with what they tried to understand about a particular understanding of end time things. You can come up, Justin. And what's simply just amazing about the early church and something that very gently and honestly that we have to wake up to. And today, if, if Kaya was here, we would have heard this from Kaya. We would, would have heard the reality that most of the, the church worldwide is under persecution. We would have heard that. Thanks be to God that we don't face those things right now. But the reality is, is that we have to stay in the same place, the same heart place, the same head place as every believer worldwide. And here's what we have to do in light of this to live as children of the light. Is that we have to live dependently upon God. That we have to be a people who 
learn to live dependently upon God. That we don't begin to put our trust in other things. We don't begin to fix our trust in things that are associated to this world. We don't put our trust in money. We don't put our trust in relationships more than we do our trust for God. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with relationships. That's not the point. But when we begin to trust in these things, we quietly begin to adapt a theology that is not based in the redemptive final purpose of Jesus Christ. We quietly begin to think that we can save and secure our own selves. When in reality, Jesus is asking us to look at him solely, alone, as the only source. Number two, we need to live expectantly. We need to take on the model like the early church did, where we believe every day could be the day that Jesus returns. We don't need a measuring stick to figure this out. That's not the point. The point is being like those five wise virgins who lived their life in a way that they expected the bridegroom to to come. And that type of life looks a little different, doesn't it? That type of life looks like one that is passionate to the Lord, that's seeking the Lord and asking the Lord what He desires from us, that's learning to love the way that Jesus loved, that's cultivating a nature of intimacy with God, that's pushing into the reality and pushing past maybe some of the things that we see on this earth that don't make sense, but choosing to lock into the truth that we love and are in love and are growing in love with the God who loves us, who knows us, who saved us, who set us free, and in one day will balance the books of injustice and come and redeem all things. We need to live in tune and be led by the Spirit. That we need to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit in our life. That we may stay in the grace of Jesus Christ. We sang an old song this morning that talked about that. And sometimes we lose sight of that beautiful grace that we came in contact with when we first came and knew Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit first began to tug on our hearts. And we can't lose sight of that grace. Because just as much as being ready is part of the understanding of living in Jesus' redemptive purpose, so is letting other people know about that beautiful grace that set us free. And the only way that we'll ever testify about that grace is if that grace is permanently seared and constantly reminded on a daily basis. And we must ask the Holy Spirit to make that grace alive in us every day, that that grace compels us. I'm being serious. 
We can't be a people that live apart from the grace of Jesus Christ that set us free. We can't be a people that think we've matured out of the grace of Jesus Christ. We have to be a people that are steadfast, steady, looking intently into that place and constantly overwhelmed by that beautiful grace that set us free. Being led by the Spirit also means that we live in the peace of God. And in this day and age in which we live, opinion is not what matters, but knowing what the Spirit of the Lord is saying is what matters. Knowing what the Word of God says is what matters. And if you're going to be a person of peace, you must be in the Word of God. Living by the Spirit also brings us to the place where we testify of the light of Christ. One thing Jesus said when he was talking about us being the light, we see in Matthew 5, 14, 16, he said, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Probably one of the most beautiful things about living in the full measure of the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Believing that he was God who came. Believing that he was God who died and paid the price for your sin. Believing that he is the God who will come and restore all things is being a people who carry that light within us so that it comes out of us. That's who Jesus Christ is. This morning as we wrap this up, we're done. My prayer is this, is that I pray that as we think on this Easter season that we're in and we think about the beautiful sacrifice that Jesus made, could our hearts be set to a place of hope? Because maybe this morning there's some of you here that are brokenhearted because you can't seem to make right the pain and the issues that have happened in your life or the things that you see. And to you I say, listen, there's grace. I can't give an answer for it. I can't get up here and necessarily quote a scripture that is going to make you free. But I absolutely know the one who will stand at the very end of all things and bring the one who has come, who has come and brought every act of injustice, every bit of pain, every bit of sorrow to his knees. And in that day, he will confess Jesus Christ. And in that day, you will stand as the righteousness of God. And in that day, every sorrow and every pain will fall off. And in that day, and if anything, if the Holy Spirit could remind us of that truth, that we would see past that and trust as much as we've trusted Jesus to cover our sins, as much as we believe that Jesus came and was God made flesh, that we trust him as the one who is to come and will sit on the throne on this earth. I pray for you, please. Father, this morning I thank you that you sent 
your son Jesus. And Jesus, we do glorify you. We do believe in your full work, that you are the God who came, that you are the God who died, that you are the God who won, and that you are the God who one day will reign as the king of this earth. And in that day, and in that day, every sorrow will be wiped away. In that day, in that day, everything will be reconciled and made right. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you begin to set our hope in that place. That just as much as you stood outside of time and you performed all these things, you stood outside of time and you've made all things complete in Jesus Christ. And this morning, Holy Spirit, as we look to Jesus, as we look to him, as we trust in him, that those here this morning that are brokenhearted, that are carrying burdens, that are unimaginable, that are breaking their hearts, that in this morning, that they would look to you, Jesus Christ, and they would see the one who is able to heal and make whole, that they would put their trust in you. And that Jesus, because you are who you say you are, that you would come in your grace and in your mercy and begin to mend and begin to heal and begin to make whole. Maybe not in the things that we see through our natural eyes, but in the things that we understand about who you are. And we thank you for that, Jesus. And we glorify you. And you are the only one who deserves to be glorified. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet, please? This morning, as we close, as we're done, we're done. I'm going to invite a couple of our ministry teams to come up. We got any folks here? Ronnie, come on up. Carol, keep y'all come on up. If you need prayer for anything this morning, some of you are you're going through some stuff. We've got some folks here that are in walking through some physical things, and man, we would love to pray for you. This morning, if you're brokenhearted, this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ and have not placed your trust in him, have not firmly fixed your eyes into his loving eyes and received the free gift of grace that he gives, ask him to remove your sins, to take them off of you, invited him to a position of lordship in your life. This morning, if you haven't done that, please, before you leave, Scripture is so simple and so easy. If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you will be saved. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. We love you so much. This week, as you go through this week, please remember to lift up Pastor Kaya. Please remember to lift up the work there. And understand that God is still moving on this earth. Understand that the Holy Spirit is still touching lives is still setting people free. So thank you. This morning I declare the grace of Jesus Christ over every one of you. Let his peace, let the peace of Jesus be upon every person, I pray. Amen, amen. We love you so much. If you need prayer, please come up.